Hello and welcome to In Conversation With, the official podcast of The Lancet Global Health. It's so lovely to meet you. I'm Amna Baig. In the studio today, I am joined by Dr. Madeline Ballard, CEO and Community Health Impact Professor at the Econ School of Medicine at Mount Sinai. I'm also joined by Bizwek Malatoni, Health Surveillance Assistant from the Ministry of Health in Malawi. I'm really excited to discuss their systematic review research on the labour conditions of dual cadre community health worker programmes. So your research was on the exploitation of community healthcare workers. Madeline, would you mind telling us what you mean by this? That's right. So this study is, we think, the first uh, to provide an estimate of the presence prevalence and magnitude of labor exploitation in national dual cadre community health programs. So basically, does labor exploitation exist? How common is it? And what's the extent of it? And to define labor exploitation, we drew actually on the International Labor Organization. Now, they emphasize the need for a minimum wage, and they suggest that indicators of exploitation are things like lower note salary, uh, excessive working days or hours, and need for comparable wages for similar types of work. So we actually combined those elements and defined exploitation as engaging community health workers at a remuneration below the country's minimum wage, while at the same time subjecting them to either excessive work hours or highly complex tasks. So that means, you know, volunteering in your community is great, but if someone isn't being paid and they're suddenly expected to work tens of hours per week or conduct highly complex tasks that are routinely conducted by salaried doctors or nurses, we thought that raises an alarm bell. Thank you for that. My next question is for Bizwek. So could you explain more about what the dual cadre system programs are? A dual cadre it means a system in which salaried cadre works together with volunteers who do not get paid for the services rendered to communities. Dual cadre happens due to a shortage of health workers. Volunteers provided services alongside personnel with longer training in the communities. To begin with salaried cadre, that's the first cadre. This is the first tire and consists of salaried community health workers. They are more experienced, have undergone more extensive training, and have roles and responsibility within the healthcare system. They often serve as second cadre supervisors, trainers, mentors. Examples of such are health surveillance assistants in Malawi who undergo a three-month training program. Although they do not receive certificates upon completion, we are given testimonials. Despite this, health surveillance assistants play vital roles in the healthcare system. For example, providing immunization, data management, supervision of the volunteer cadre and referrals. An illustrative example of our cadre is seen during the COVID-19 vaccination campaign, where health surveillance assistants collaborated with volunteers to mobilize community members for vaccination. Additionally, they diligently recorded data on vaccine recipients, categorizing them by gender, age groups, and chronic health conditions exemplifying their dedication to public health. The second cadre is volunteer cadre. The second tier consists of volunteer community health workers who may have received basic training but are not salaried. They often serve at community level, assisting with health education, basic health care services, and referrals. While they play a crucial role in community health, they may have limited training compared to the salaried cadre. For instance, during the oncoscasis program, volunteers assist in measuring the height of community members receiving ivermectin medication, which combats oncoscasis. 
showcasing their variable contribution to the public health initiative. So if you're happy, we'll move on to our third question, which is back to you, Madeline. Um, could you just tell us how did you carry out your study? Sure. Uh, so this study was driven by Community Health Impact Coalition, a network of community health workers and global health organizations in about 60 countries. And we together believe that research is a tool to dismantle potentially modest claims of causality and expand what's possible in community health and potentially overcome institutional obstacles. And so by publishing uh, rigorous evidence on professional community health workers in the peer-reviewed literature, we, we hope we can equip uh, international norm setters with evidence to change guidelines and policy. The first guideline on community health workers from the WHO only just came out in 2018. So in this is a place where we see a lot of a vacuum often in terms of guidance and a lot of program models that may or may not have been tested or that we don't know enough about to ensure that they're safe for all participating. Uh, we know that community health workers, uh, there's been about 100 RCTs on the way in which they can reduce the amount of death or sickness in a population if they're well supported. But how do you actually take that out of a study context and apply that on a national level? That's something countries are still working on. And this dual cadre approach is something that's gaining popularity. And so we thought, why don't we tackle this fundamental question that couldn't be answered alone, right? It's a lot of work to look at 19 countries worth of data and see, is this really a good way to be setting up these programs in terms of getting the highest quality care to, to people and, and making sure that those who are providing the care are also well looked after. So in this case, we brought together members, some of whom have strong technical backgrounds uh, in study design and execution, specifically systematic reviews, uh, alongside other members who are primarily caregivers in their communities, like Mizuek, who himself works in Dual Kadara program in Malawi to conduct a rigorous systematic review uh, on this key question of system design for the field. Thank you. Um, so what did you find out? Volunteer community health workers within this Dual Kadara program often face labor exploitation, which means they work below the country's minimum wage, have excessive work hours, or are assigned complex tasks. The other thing is more than half that is to say 59% of the community health workers volunteer in Jokara programs experienced labor exploitation. They are more often misused by different health carers and organizations with various unplanned schedules. The third thing is a significant portion that is to say 17% of volunteer community health workers would need to work for the hours per week to fulfill their responsibilities which highlights the heavy workload they bear. Unsalaried community health workers in geocardial programs likely experience additional psychosocial distress and an increased burden of tasks compared to other unsalaried community health workers. Thank you so much. Moving on from that then, what do your findings suggest? The, the findings are, are quite severe. You know, if you're thinking about one in five of these volunteer cadres would need to work 40 hours per week to fulfill their responsibilities, that creates a dilemma. Either you have a huge number of people experiencing what is uncategorically labor exploitation, or people can't sustain that because they need to pay school fees, they need to put food on the table for their own children, and so they're going to do labor-generating activities elsewhere, and so people are not getting health care. So there's kind of either one of these two situations is happening. We didn't have the data to sort of indicate which one it is, but neither one of them is good. And so we're still in a context where we're facing an intense shortage of healthcare workers. I think WHO has just updated their estimate to 10 million by 2030. And what the situation that Bismarck described, where countries are, are turning to 
volunteers to try to extend service and meet coverage capacity and the emergence of dual cadre community health worker programs across these countries should concern us. This review highlights that this trend is both, I would say, technically and ethically suspect and can result in subpar health delivery worldwide. And so we have labor laws as a globe and we should be respecting them. Professional community health worker cadres who are salaried, skilled, supervised, supplied, who have fair contracts. This is the type of care work that we should be prioritizing. And CHWs should have a say in the policies that affect them. Too often in, in research, uh, in policymaking, community health workers like Bezowek are not in the room and can't sort of speak to their experience, including things like volunteers should not bear the responsibility for delivering essential health services. And that is to the detriment of the design of these systems worldwide, we think. Thank you so much again. Could you share with us some ideas of what research you may do in the future? Sure. So I think it's important to note that our findings on working hours uh, and consequently wages are based on model assumptions that actually don't even include travel time. So Bizuwek and others can tell you that travel between houses is an integral part of community health workers working week. And actually, we looked at some time use studies as we were doing this systematic review that suggests that that type of travel between households or even between settlements can account for anywhere between 10 and 27% of a community health worker's time. So actually everything that Bizuek just described what we found together in terms of the severity of this issue is actually likely an underestimate. So I think that's something to keep in mind as we move forward. And so critically, we think that future research might actually want to focus on programs and geographical regions that were not profiled in this study and to try to actually get an even more complete picture of do we see people experiencing labor expectation or do we see people just not getting healthcare at, at all? What's what's actually happening? And final question, what are some recommendations that you would give for those that are impacted by these concerns? So what recommendations do you have for fellow community health workers to governments and to non-governmental organisations? I may urge them to take up the online community advocacy training so as to collectively advocate for fair compensation that reflects the variable of the services they provide and highlights the impact of their work on community health outcomes. And the second thing is I may recommend my fellow community health workers to take self-care and support seriously. They should prioritize self-care and seek support from peers and mental health resources to cope with the challenges of labor exploitation and psychosocial distress. And the last thing, I mean, recommend my fellow community health workers also to endeavor to join professional associations. Consider joining or forming professional associations that can collectively represent community health workers' interests and negotiate better working conditions. To government, I may recommend the following. Government must formulate and approve policies that ensure fair compensation and working conditions for both salaried and volunteer community health workers. The second thing I may recommend government must strive for well-defined laws and responsibilities for community health workers to avoid task shifting that, shifting that compromises the quality of care. The last thing I may recommend government must include community health workers in discussions and decisions about policies that directly affect them, allowing their perspective to shape their Healthcare strategies. As the saying says, nothing about community health workers without community health workers. And to non-governmental organizations, I may recommend the following. I want to tell non-governmental organizations to collaborate with community health workers to advocate for their rights and fair treatment. Use evidence from 
research studies to raise awareness and influence policy changes. Community health workers are the driving agents of change on which non-governmental organizations can quickly realize their organization's objectives as they work with different ministries. The second thing is non-governmental organizations should work towards professionalization of community health workers through fair contracts, accreditation, and capacity building programs to improve the quality of care delivered. Ensure you support salaried, skilled, supervised and supplied initiatives in all your community health work engagements. The last thing I may recommend non-government organizations work with different ministries, thus funders and policymakers, they should provide resources and support to community health workers, including mental health services, training opportunities and mechanisms for addressing labor exploitation. By implementing these recommendations, community health workers, governments, and then governmental organizations can collectively address the concerns identified in the research, ensuring better working conditions for community health workers and improved health care delivery for countries. Thank you. You can read their work out now on thelancet.com and I'd like to thank both of our interviewees for being with us today. You can subscribe to this podcast at any place you usually get your podcasts. Finally, I'd love to thank all of you for tuning in this week. It's been a pleasure to host. Take care and enjoy the rest of your day.